see that in the book of Judges, there is some brutal honesty happening, that the world we live in is a, is a broken one. And actually, even the, the heroes or even some of the leaders God uses, they still have their flaws. And, and, you know, there's parts of the book of Judges that are really hard to read, and they should be hard. It means that your conscience is working, okay? <laughs> and don't worry, we are going to be preaching through this book tactfully, tastefully. Uh, but this book really does confront us with the brokenness around us, but also the messiness uh, in us. And there's actually a cycle that happens in the book of Judges that Pastor Todd has shown us before. I just wanted to highlight it again, right? In, in the book of Judges, we meet the people of Israel, right? They are God's a chosen people. He's called them to be apart from all other nations. He's going to use them to reveal himself to the world, right? So in a way, they're, they're his missionaries, yet often they forget his mission in the Old Testament. They even forget about him completely. They sin, and then, as you can see in the cycle, they wander off to dark places and they find themselves in oppression. Right? And then after oppression, they, they repent, they turn back to God, and God raises up a deliverer or a judge who brings them back to a place of peace, back to a place of wholeness. Yet, what you've seen already in this book is that the cycle just keeps going and going and going. And it's easy to pick up the book of Judges and kind of look at the people of Israel and say, wow, you guys really don't get it. But then you look in the mirror. <laughs> You're like, wow, I, I don't think I get it often either. Because right? there's cycles in our own lives where we will forget about God, we'll walk away from him, and we find ourselves in these cycles of, of facing things in darkness and then coming back to a God who offers us deliverance. Right? And we've met some of these judges already. If you go back to week one, we met Ehud. If you go to week two, we were talking about Barak and Deborah. Last week, we covered Gideon, and actually this week, we're staying with Gideon. He gets a sequel, all right? Uh, he, he's, he's a cool guy. <laughs> no, we're really uh, staying with Gideon because that's what the book of Judges does. It stays with him for a while, and we want to really let him breathe among us and, and even see what God wants to teach us from the life of Gideon. And last week, Pastor Todd, he introduced us to Gideon in an excellent way. We got a front row seat to this dialogue between Gideon and God, where Gideon was doubting whether or not God wanted to use him or not. But uh, this week, we're actually going to look at what happens when Gideon goes forward in faith with the plan that God has for him. We're going to be in chapter 7 and 8. That's a lot of territory to cover, so I'm actually going to read portions of those chapters and then story tell a lot of it. But, but this is a theme that you're going to see come to life in these two chapters. It's the big idea for this morning's message. It's that our weakness is a window for us to see God at work. There's a, a reason why I've got this old windowsill up here. <laughs> it's to really... Uh, bring us back to this big idea countless times in this morning's message. We're going to see that weakness is actually a window that God uses to help us see him at work. Let's see if this stays with my music stand. All right, nice. All right, and we're going to see uh, Gideon's weakness show up in a few ways that helps him see God at work. And these are actually going to be an outline for our message this morning. We're going to see uh, Gideon's weakness give him a window to see God at work in the battle in leadership, and in the end. In the battle, in leadership, 
and in the end. All right, we're going to start our time in Judges chapter 7. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and crack it open to Judges 7. We're going to start in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We've got you covered. We'll have the scripture up on screen. Or if you're a techie, you can download the Silver Creek app and uh, click on this morning's sermon. It's got all the slides, all the notes. It's really helpful. So uh, join me in Judges 7 verse 1. This is what it says. Then Gideon and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Let's stop there. This is God's word, and it's true. And as we arrive to chapter 7 of Judges, we realize that Gideon and Israel are living in one of those cycles that we just saw up on screen. What Pastor Todd taught us last week is that in chapter 6, Israel and even Gideon, they're living in darkness. They're living in oppression. They've forgotten about God. And in their walking away from him, they have fallen to the oppression of the Midianites. Now, the Midianites are a coalition of kingdoms to the north of Israel. And what we're told is at this time, they've swooped down into Israel and they're oppressing the Israelites. Now, to say that they were oppressing the Israelites is putting it lightly. What they were really doing is they were committing genocide against the Israelites. They were wiping out cities and and villages. They were burning up food sources. In fact, they were driving Israel into the hills, into the mountains. And that's where God finds Gideon. Gideon's hiding when God calls him up to be a judge, to be a deliverer. And now in chapter 7, we're going to see what Gideon does as he steps up to this call to deliver Israel. He's moving forward in faith. And what's the first thing we see Gideon doing? He's preparing for a battle. That's point one of this morning's message. There's a battle ahead of Gideon. And what the ESV translation doesn't make super clear is that Gideon's actually camping at the spring of Herod, not just with his buddies, but with an army. The ESV just puts it as he had a group of people with him. But what you find out as you keep reading is this is not just any group of people. This is an army that Gideon is raising up to face off with the Midianites, right? That's, that's how wars are won, right? With, with armies. And what we also find out later is that his army numbered about 30,000 troops. Pretty impressive on short notice, right, Gideon? Nice job. Crowd raising, that kind of, that kind of force. But we're not so impressed when we look north. Because what we're told is that the camp of the Midianites is just north of Gideon and his troops, and their number is 130,000. Let's do the math there. Israelites don't look too good right now, right? And if you and I were to walk into the camp of Israel at the spring of Herod, we'd say, hey, Gideon, noble thing you're doing here, but I've got a problem with your army. It's a little too small. That's not what God does, though, right? Instead, what does God do? He walks into the camp of Israel. He pulls Gideon aside and he says, hey, I I have a problem with your army, Gideon. It's too big. That's interesting. (laughs) It's too big. God goes on to say in verse two, yeah, Gideon, uh, so here's the thing. I'm the one who's gonna give you victory, not your army. And, And I actually want you to shrink your army because I know how people work. I know that you're going to march forward. You're going to see some things happen that really go your way. And then you're going to be tempted to think that you won. It was 
your numbers. It was your strength. It was your strategy. So God says, Gideon, I need to shrink your army. Let's pause here and go a little bit deeper. Why would God be saying this to Gideon? Well, I think one reason is God didn't want Gideon fighting the Midianites like a Midianite. Let me explain what I mean there. How did the Midianites come to power? Right? They got the biggest and baddest army together, and then they threw their weight around, and they took what's theirs, right? And now Gideon knows that God wants to do something about this, so what does he do? He gathers the biggest and baddest army he possibly can, and in his mind, the way to solve this problem is to throw their weight around, see what they can take. And the Lord interrupts all this and says, uh, Gideon, it's not the story I'm telling. I'm not telling a story like the Midianites. And the story that I'm telling is a story where you follow me and it's my strength that delivers you. It's not your army. It's not your strategies. Man, oh man, we need to hear that, don't we? I get it. We're not facing the armies of the Midianites. We got some problems, don't we? We got some problems in our health. We got some problems with some friendships at home, at work, in our own marriage. And often, like Gideon, we can face those problems just thinking to ourselves, Maybe I can muster up enough strength. Maybe I can fight this on my own. Maybe I can find victory in this approach or that approach. And then the Lord walks in and says, hey, uh, I'm telling a different story. It's not one that relies on you, Gideon. It's not a story that relies on you or me, but it's a story that relies on his strength. God doesn't want Gideon fighting like a Midianite. God doesn't want you facing problems in a way that makes you seem like you never knew them. And that maybe that's a, a point of conviction for us. When you look at how you problem solve, does it look different than your neighbor who doesn't know the Lord? Or is it just the same? Do you consider that you walk with a God who goes before you, who cares even more about the problems that you're facing than even you could? And so Gideon hears this from the Lord. He's got to shrink his army. That's what he does. He sends 10,000 soldiers home. Gideon thinks, all right, cool. I'm following you, Lord. And then the Lord follows up with him and says, hey, that's still not enough. And they go back and forth until Gideon's left with 300 troops. Let's do the math again. By what percentage did God reduce Gideon's fighting force, his plan? By 99%. God said, hey, Gideon, I see your plan. I see your strategies. I'm going to take 1% of it because I want you to see I'm doing something else, and it's something that's fully dependent on my strength. And I believe the reason behind this is God did not want Gideon following his armies into battle or following his clever strategies into battle. God wanted Gideon following him into battle. Sum this all up, God was saying, Hey, Gideon, pick up some weakness. Because when you pick up some weakness, you'll be able to see me at work. But, Gideon, if you're just going forward in your own strength, all you'll see is your army, all you'll see is your tactics. You'll miss me. And, and Gideon trusts the Lord. He's, he's humble enough to say, You know what, Lord? I'd rather depend on you than my best plan. I think that might be a question we gotta ask ourselves today. Are we willing to depend on the Lord or are we just really trying to put life together with our best plans? Well, that's what Gideon does. He shrinks his army down to 300. He looks 
like a fool, but he goes forward behind the God of Israel. And let's see what happens in verse 19. When Gideon comes to the battle, this is what happens. Verse 19, it says, So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him, they came to the outskirts of the camp, and at the beginning of the middle watch, when they had just set the watch, so they're standing outside of the Midianites' camp, they all blew the trumpets, and they smashed jars that were in their hands, and then the three companies blew trumpets, broke jars, and they held in their left hands torches, and in their right hands trumpets to blow, and they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. The Midianites, they cry out, they're fleeing. And when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. This is the victory, this is the deliverance that God had promised Gideon, and now it's coming true. And let's take note of what happens with Gideon and his men. When they show up to the camp of the Midianites, do they draw their swords and run in like Braveheart? <laughs> No. Instead, just like Becca did up here, they worshiped. They blew trumpets. They smashed jars. They proclaimed that they believed in a God who would go before them and solve their deepest problems on their own behalf. And that's exactly what they went on to witness. God went before them. He delivered the victory. And this, this huge army of 130,000 Midianites buckles on itself. Why? Because Gideon was the best commander that day? Because Gideon had the biggest army? Because Gideon had the right tactics? No. It's because Gideon showed up. He believed, he worshiped, and he saw God go on their behalf. And there's some connections here for us. Right? Because you and I, again, we're not facing the armies of Midian, but the biggest problem any of us face is sin. The Bible describes sin as uh, the brokenness in our own lives that come from us severing relationships with each other, but, but also us severing relationship with God. And it's all of our shame, it's all of our guilt, it's all of our mistakes. And yet, when we read the New Testament, does God tell us, hey, you know, pull up your boots and head into battle. Deal with sin on your own. No. In a similar way, God says, hey, follow me. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna tell a story. Come to the cross. See what I'm doing there. I'm going on your behalf. I'm laying my son's life down so that you might be set free, so that you might be delivered, so that you might experience experience rescue. What Gideon and his 300 witnessed before their eyes is what we witness before our eyes when we look at the cross, that God has gone before us. He has done what we could never do, but you'll only see this if you're willing to pick up your weakness, if you're willing to admit, yeah, just like Gideon and the armies of Israel, they couldn't solve the Midianite problem on their own, and just like them, for me, I cannot solve the problem of my own sin on my own. No, 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 I need a God who can go before me. I need a God who can deliver me. And friends, that is the God that we encounter when we read about Jesus in the New Testament. He is the Son of God who accomplishes all of this on our behalf, and we will only see him as such when we hold up our weakness like a window and we see him at work on our behalf, and it causes us to worship as we witness what's happening on the cross of Calvary. It's life-changing. 
It's not just a transformation for Israel in the book of Judges. It's a transformation for us today. But guys, do you see why you need weakness to see it? You'll miss it if you're just following your own strength. If you're just following your own strategies and thoughts. Now, this morning is not just about battles. This morning is also about leadership. Because that's what comes up in chapter 8 of Judges. See, in chapter 7, God goes before Israel. He deals with the Midianites. But in chapter 8, Israel is now free. And they're asking some leadership questions. They're saying to themselves, who should lead us? And this is actually what they ask Gideon in chapter 8, verse 22. It says, then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also. For you have saved us from the hand of of Midian. This brings us to point two of this morning's message. How does holding up our weakness show us God at work in leadership? Well, right here we meet Israel. They're, they're like, great, Midianites are gone. And they start looking around. They say, hey, who should we follow? And they, they take notice of Gideon. They say, all right, Midianites, they're out of here. Let's all become Gideonites, right? <laughs> and he did some cool things. And this is significant for a few reasons. One is that in the ancient world, you got your identity from your king. Whoever your king was gave you significance, gave you identity. And for that reason, before the book of Judges ever happened, God used two really influential leaders in the life of Israel. They go by the names of Moses and Joshua. They helped lead Israel to the promised land. And now that Israel settled in the promised land, uh, Moses and Joshua, they're passed away. But, but God had spoken something through Moses and Joshua to the people of Israel. He said, hey, when you get to the promised land, don't go shopping for kings because I intend to be your king. So God has asked Israel to look to him for that kind of leadership, to not look around at themselves or the nations who are their neighbors. He asked them, look at me. And this is a moment where Gideon displays good and godly leadership. Let's see what he says to the Israelites as they ask him to be king. In verse 23, Gideon replies, he says, I will not rule over you. And my son's not gonna rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. How could Gideon respond this way? It's with his weakness. Gideon is leading through weakness. He's leading with honesty. He's saying, hey guys, don't you remember what Joshua and Moses told us? I'm not the guy for the job. The one that you're longing for is actually God himself. And this is interesting. I want to stay here for a moment because I believe godly leadership happens through weakness. When we hold up our weaknesses like a window, we see God at work, but our weaknesses also make us godly leaders. And for, for Gideon, it made him a godly leader in this way. It made him honest, and it showed that he depended on the Lord. And this is the same for you and for me. If you want to be a leader that reflects the Lord, you got to lead through your weaknesses. And this is contrary to what the world says because the world just writes leadership books based off of strengths. But when you look at scripture, the people God raises up to be leaders are people who lead out of their weaknesses. And when they lead out of their weaknesses, they become more and more honest. They become more and more depending on the Lord. Let me explain how this shows up with Gideon. You see, for Gideon to turn down the kingship, what he was really saying is, I didn't win the battle. Because right? if you notice, when Israel asked him to be king, they asked him to be king because 
he had just defeated the Midianites. But for Gideon to turn that down, he was just really squaring up and being honest. He's saying, look, I did not defeat the Midianites. I, I know what happened that night. I stood there and I just worshiped. It was God who defeated the Midianites and it's God who should be your king. But what allowed Gideon to respond with that kind of honesty? It was his weakness. It wasn't his pride. His pride would have just said, yeah, give me the credit. I'll take the reins. I got this. It was his weakness that led him to honesty, though. But also, look at how Gideon, just a day earlier, fought the battle. He fought it in a way that was depending on the Lord, right? He was willing to lose that 30,000-strong army and just go into battle with 300, right? Following God, he, he really exemplified what the Proverbs tell us, that blessed is he who does not lean on his own understanding, but trusts in the Lord with all of his ways. That was Gideon. That was Gideon in chapter 7. That was Gideon in verse 23 saying, look, I should not be king. And in his weakness, he was able to see what God was doing, and he was also able to point people to it. And guys, I, I wish I could just wrap up point two here and say Gideon was a perfect leader. But he wasn't. He's a broken hero. And actually, if you read all of chapter eight at some point, you'll see just what kind of train wreck Gideon was in leadership. This is his one golden moment. And it's because he's leading through weakness. But you see the other train wrecks that happen in chapter eight with his leadership. They're train wrecks because he puts his weakness down and he decides to start leading out of his own strength. And what I mean by him leading out of his own strength is really he started to lead out of his own pride. It is dangerous when we put our weaknesses down and try to lead out of anything else. But I want to share with you two examples in chapter 8 of what happens when Gideon's, Gideon puts his weakness down and just picks up his own strength. One example happens uh, before this conversation about who's going to be king. So if you go all the way to the beginning of chapter 8 in, in Judges, what you see is Gideon is actually still pursuing the leftovers of the Midianite army. He's chasing them out of town, and him and his soldiers, they get tired, so they stop by two Israelite villages, and they ask the Israelites to resupply them. They, they need more food and water, but these Israelite villages are terrified. They've been living under oppression for decades, and they say, hey, Gideon, uh, we would really love to, but we're still afraid of the Midianites. And if they come back after you leave, we're toast if they find out we resupplied you. So go and finally defeat them, then come back and we'll resupply you. Now at this point in time, Gideon was not leading through weakness. He was leading through his own pride. And what happens when we lead out of our own pride is our ego is the first thing out the door. And his ego got hurt by these Israelites who didn't believe in him. So he tells these Israelites, okay, I'll go deal with the Midianites, but when I'm done with them, I'm gonna come back and deal with you. So he goes off, he defeats the Midianite kings and their, their leftover army, but then he comes back and he massacres these two villages. Devastating. Do you, do you see why it's dangerous to lead with anything but your weakness? For Gideon, when he did that, he didn't lead in a way that reflected the God of Israel, who was delivering Israel out of the hands of the Midianites. No, in that moment, he looked like just another Midianite king. That's what the Midianites did. They came through. They wiped out villages. 
And now that's what Gideon's doing? Why? It's because he's leading out of his own strength. He's leading out of his pride, and it leaves a wake of destruction. The second example that's an important warning to us happens right after this conversation of who should be king in verse 22 and 23. You see, in verse 23, Gideon has the right answer. He says, God's going to be our king. It shouldn't be me. But right after that verse, if you keep reading, the rest of Gideon's life does not match up with that sentence that was on his lips. Because the rest of his life is actually him just leading himself in his own pride. He sets up systems of worship in his hometown that end up confusing the Israelites and actually leading them back into idolatrous worship. He, he goes on to build a family that's dysfunctional, even naming one of his own sons, son of the king. <laughs> this is the same guy who, in verse 23, said he shouldn't be king. God should be king. And what Gideon shows us is what it looks like to be someone who says the right things with our lips, but has a life that doesn't match it. That's a warning for us. That comes out of leading from our own strength, leading from our own pride, saying, hey God, I say the right things, and I'm going to make sure I can do the right things in my own strength. But we fail constantly. And guys, let's be honest. In America today, countless of young people are leaving church. One of the leading reasons why is they look up and they see Gideon. They see folks who say the right things at church and at Bible study, but then when they look at the rest of their lives, there's a disconnect. If we want to be leaders at home, at work, at church, at school, who lead people in an honest way, in a way that depends on the Lord, it has to be the kind of leadership that doesn't come from my strength, but comes out of my own weakness, me using my weakness to keep my eyes on Jesus and point others to him. Our weakness is so important. It's a window for us to see God at work, not only in our battles, but also in our leadership. But guess what? Our weakness is also a window for us to see the way that God is ending the story. That brings us to point three, the end of the story. How does our weakness give us a window to see the way God is ending the story. You see, at the end of Judges 7 and 8, we are kind of left as readers with the same longing that Israel had. The same question of like, yeah, when is the king ever going to show up? Because it's not Gideon. It's not the Midianites. And God says it's him. But what does that actually look like in life? Well, that question gets answered later on in Psalm chapter 2. This is what Psalm chapter 2 says. This is God speaking through the psalmist, and this is what God says. He says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. What God is saying is he has a king. It's not a Midianite king. It's not a king like Gideon, but it's a king of kings. He goes on to warn uh, the kings and rulers in verse 10. He says, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. What he's saying is, hey, if you have authority, if you're a leader, make sure you're holding up your weakness window because your power has an expiration date on it. But this king of kings being described in Psalm 2 has no end to his authority, has no end to his power. He was there in the beginning and he will be there past the end. In verse 12, it goes on to say, kiss the son. Okay, so this king of kings is actually the son of God. It goes on to say, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled, but blessed are all who take refuge in him. You see, when you and I, when we hold up 
our weakness, we start to see the end of the story that God is telling. And it's a story that ends in us meeting the King of Kings. And this King of Kings, he has the power, the authority, according to Psalm 2, to do away with all of the world's darkness, all of the world's brokenness. But he's also a king who's looking for refugees. Right? Isn't that what it said, the last sentence? Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now, to be a refugee, what has to be true of you? To be a refugee means that you're holding up weakness and you're saying, hey, through my weakness, I'm looking for a better place. I'm looking for a better way. I'm looking for a better life. Friends, it's only when we hold up our weaknesses that we can see the end of the story, that we can see this king of kings walking towards us saying, yeah, I have refuge for you because this king of kings, he's the son of God and in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus looks at a crowd and he says, come to me all you who are weary, all you who are heavy laden, all you who are holding up your weaknesses. You'll see me. You'll see the king of kings and I'm walking towards you not to condemn you, not to tell you to try harder. I'm walking towards you to offer you refuge. And that's what we find in Jesus. He goes on to say in Matthew 11 that he has rest for our souls. That our weakness is not just a window for us to see God at work in our problems and in our leadership. Our weakness is actually a truth leading us to the foot of Jesus because it's only at his foot that we can actually find rest for our weary souls. That's the end of the story. That's, that's the thing we're longing for, but we'll never see it if we simply live a life being led out of our strength, saying, I'll, I'll find the end of the story somewhere else on my own. That's what Gideon tried to do. And it led to chaos. It led to more and more brokenness, just snowballing in his life. Guys, your weakness is so important to God because in your weakness, you have a clear view of what he's doing and who he can be for you. Let's be a church that doesn't shy away from our weaknesses, but holds them up, knowing that through them, we will see God at work in our problems, in our leadership, and in the end of the story that he's telling. Would you pray with me now? Father, we look to you now. We thank you for the book of Judges, how honest it is with us, how revealing it is to us. Lord, thank you that you sent your son not to be a broken hero, but to be a perfect one. It's in Jesus that we see what you've done to solve our deepest problem of sin. It's in Jesus that we look for leadership to be more and more honest, to be more and more dependent on you in all things. And it's in Jesus that we see the end of the story that you're telling. That it's in Jesus that we have a king of kings. We have a refuge for our souls. Lord, would you help us to rest our weaknesses in his presence, seeing what he can do through it all. We pray this in his name. Amen.